you, Doug. Thank you, team. Wonderful to see you here in God's house, and we have thousands of reasons to thank the Lord and praise him this morning, don't we? Amen, Amen we do. And now if you open to First Peter, I think that you'll see we have many, many more reasons. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to First Peter this morning, and if you're using the Bibles provided for you, you're going to find that on page 1014, 1014. Well, last week, if you were here, we had quite a service. We, we were in the dark, not uncommon when I'm speaking, but last week we were in the dark and had a great service. Now we're in a cave. <laughs> Don't know what that's saying about us, but we're going to have a great service as well. I do want to just give thanks to you for, again, being such a generous church, generous people, the evidence of work of God in people's hearts. It's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Grateful, as you've heard already, about the Ecuador earthquake fund, nearly 13000 given toward that. Bless you for that. And then our, our church planting offering, uh, last I understood, it was approaching uh, 90,000, <laughs> and we thank God for that, and we, uh, we're praying to make that 100,000 mark, so thank you. And while you rejoice in that, be praying for sort of the first official gathering, the pioneer group for our church plant, Emmanuel Church. Next several Sundays at this hour, they're uh, meeting over in the uh, round building, the a World's Fair building where we started. I think it's appropriate that they're meeting there, isn't it? And uh, about 75 adults uh, that are part of that. So we're very excited for this great beginning and pray for Derek and Jared as they're uh, laying out the vision and mission and the core values and people being uh, bound together to find out as God directs them whether it'll be a part of this pioneer team. So continue to pray about the church plant. Uh, we do look forward, Lord willing, the end of the summer in August, be able to have a time of, of dedication in the entire group that'll be going to uh, uh, plant this new church. So we're very, very excited about that. The, one that's, the ones the Lord is sending out from us and also the ones the Lord is bringing in. Hope that many of you will, that are new, be able to join Life at West Park on Saturday. We'd love to tell you more about West Park and that is a part of the membership process here and we look forward to welcoming new members next Sunday. So we're grateful for this wonderful week. Uh, it's ahead of us, Vacation Bible School, for the evidence of the work of the Lord and generosity of our people and for the folks God is bringing to us and bringing to himself. So much to rejoice in, right? We have so much to, for, to give thanks to our God. We're in a series that we just started for this summer, from 1 Peter, it's called Excellence in Exile, Faithful Living in a Fallen World. We are exiles. Last week, we, we defined that. What does it mean to be in exile? Well, being in exile simply means that home is not here. Home is not here. And I was thinking about that this week, that when we recognize ourselves as exiles, we're, we're in mighty good company. Did you know that? 
I was thinking about the wonderful patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, great patriarchs of Israel. What do they have in common? Well, they never built a city. They lived in tents. They dug wells. And they erected altars. And yet they possessed everything. They lived in tents. They didn't put roots down on, on the land that the Lord had given to them as an inheritance. They dug wells. And God provided living water for them. And then those wells they provided to those that lived around them. And they built altars wherever they went. They were a worshiping people. That's what exiles are. Home's not here, but we're people living in tents. We're digging wells out of the living water of Christ and we're building altars wherever we go to testify that we're on our way home to our Father. Bible says those patriarchs were exiles, even though they possessed all things, they looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's the hope of the exile, lives lived in hope. And this morning, as we turn again to 1 Peter, I want us to look at some of the greatest words of hope. Hope for exiles, hope for God's people, in a very fallen world, but incredible living hope. And I want you to follow along, if you would, beginning at verse three, 1 Peter chapter one, verse three. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with hope, with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now that is hope, isn't it? <laughs> that is hope. That's an exile's hope. 
Peter's speaking as an exile. He's speaking to exiles at that time in the Roman Empire. He's speaking by the Spirit of God through the inspiration of the Word to the people of God. He's speaking to us today. We are exiles, but we are in hope. And exiles hopes what I want us to think about this morning. Now notice the exiles hope is the hope of a worshiper. Isn't it interesting how Peter begins this letter? He begins worshiping God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins worshiping. Many times we hear today that all religions of the earth ultimately worship the same God. We all worship the same God. Not, there's only one God. The God of the Bible is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God we worship. And here is Peter, a devout Jewish man, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his God, our God, the only God. Peter starts worshiping him for who he is and he worships him for what he has done. He says, Be, because of his great mercy, this God, the God of heaven, who is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, is not an angry God. He is not an evil God. He is a God of mercy, pity, concern. And what has he done out of that great concern? Well, notice he has provided for us hope, a living hope. Do you see that? The hope of an exile is a living hope. Look at verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He says we have a living hope because we are alive. We've been made alive. He has caused us out of his mercy. He has caused us to be born again. That's very interesting the way Peter says that. He's the only one who's ever used this word. No Greek document ever found uses this expression. He has caused us to be born again. It's, it's perfect tense. You know what that means? It means it's something that has happened in the past, but it's still happening. He has caused us to be born again so that we are still born again. We're made new. He's Peter's no doubt recalling what he heard Jesus say to Nicodemus that night. That religious man, he said, Nicodemus, what? You must be born again. And you can be born again because the sun is going to be lifted up and whoever believes on him has everlasting life. He says we have a hope that's a living hope because we are alive. We're, we're exiles, but we're alive. 
We have been born again. As a matter of fact, it's being born again that makes us an exile. When you're born again, you don't fit in anymore. When you're born again, guess what? Here is not home. Here is not home. We have a hope. It's a living hope because we are alive. And it's a living hope. You know why? Because he is alive, right? He is alive. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What? Verse three, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He is our hope. He is alive. And he is our hope. And hope, friends, and remember this in the New Testament, doesn't mean to wish. It means to be assured, to be certain. He is our hope. He is alive. You know, I've heard over the years, people in various ways, from a worldly philosophy, talk about us poor Christians. (laughs) Poor things. And we live lives, they say, we live lives of empty hope. We live lives of empty hope. And you know what? Yes, our hope is empty. It's based on an empty tomb. That's the reason it's a living hope because there is a tomb that's empty. He's not there. He is risen. Our hope is in the one who's alive. His tomb is empty. And because his tomb is empty, it contains our treasury. The empty tomb of Jesus contains all the treasures that exile can ever want. Notice what we have in that empty tomb. We have a living hope, and because Jesus is alive and he's made us alive, he's given us a lasting inheritance. Notice that. He's given us a lasting inheritance, an inheritance that will never Never stop, cease, run out. This past week, I was reading an article about the richest people in the world who gained their wealth through inheritance. Through inheritance. The richest person in the world who's gained her wealth through inheritance is Christy Walton. Walmart. She inherited, and sadly through the death of her husband, she inherited $42 billion. $42 billion. Do you know how much $42 billion is? Give you an idea. If every day of your life you got up and you said, today I've got to spend $100,000, wouldn't that be awful? Every day you have to spend $100,000. Do you know even without any interest on your $42 billion, you know how long it'd take you to spend $42 billion at $100,000 a day? 120 years. Some of you would say, I'd like that job. 
I'd like that job. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, I'd like you to have that job and tithe on it, all right? Tithe on it. I'd work out a partial tithe for you. I wouldn't. But you know, I thought 42 billion. Then I thought again, that's nothing. That's nothing. Every person in this room who knows Jesus as Savior is vastly more wealthy than that. How wealthy? What's your inheritance? Here it is, verse 4. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Wow. Wow. You know, our inheritance is so incredible, exiles. Our inheritance is so incredible, you almost have to call it the uninheritance. Because there's nothing that can be compared to. Nothing can be compared to it, so you just have to, like the Lord says here, he just has to tell us what it's not. You know, it's a wonderful thing when God says, you have such an inheritance in him, the only thing he can tell you is what it's not. What, what isn't it? He says our inheritance, notice this, it's unending, it's imperishable. Do you see that? He has given us inheritance that is imperishable. That means it never grows old and never dies. A few weeks ago, with that group, I was able to go to Greece and also over into Turkey, see Ephesus, see Athens, see Corinth and Philippi. Incredible sights. But guess what? Even though all those sights were glorious, they're gone. The splendor of Rome has been covered over gone. But our inheritance is where Jesus said, moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. It's unending. It's an uninheritance. It's unending. He says it's undefiled. Do you notice that? He says it's an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled. That means it's without stain. Many people in this world have an inheritance that comes to them, but it comes down through a legacy of ruthlessness. It comes down through a legacy of greed and evil actions and intents, but not our inheritance. Ours is absolutely undefiled. Purchased for us at the price of Jesus Christ's blood, and it is absolutely pure. There's nothing that taints our inheritance. It's unending. It's undefiled. The Lord says our inheritance, exile, your inheritance is unfading. It's unfading. 
an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It can't fade. God says he is making all things what? New. And that means fresh. New. The the whole quality of the kingdom to come, our inheritance is going to be everlastingly fresh and new, never boring, never old, always new. It never dims or fades. That's the inheritance of an exile. It is unending, it is undefiled, it is an inheritance is unfading and here's what is so wonderful about it you can't lose it why because it's unthreatened he says we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven do you see that Kept in heaven for you. And that word kept there is again the perfect tense means God has been keeping it. He will be keeping it. He's always going to be keeping it. Your inheritance can never be lost. It is absolutely a secure treasure. Nobody breaks in to the bank of heaven. It is unthreatened and it's lastly, see this, it's unconditional. You see what's so wonderful, not only does the Lord keep our inheritance, this is what's incredible. Peter says he keeps us for the inheritance. Not only does he keep the inheritance for us, he keeps us for the inheritance. Look at verse five. He says, you are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. God guards our inheritance and he guards us too. The word guard here is always a word to use of guarding a person. It's a different word than the word kept. This is guarding a person. And it's, it's present tense. God is on guard. He is guarding us. Friend, let me tell you, every humble child of God is protected by the sacred service. And it's no secret. <laughs> Guarded by God. What was it Jesus said? My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I have given to them eternal life. And no one is able to pluck them out of my hand. My father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Think about that. We are guarded by the hands of Jesus by the hands of the Father, and then we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty safe. Someone says, well, what if the devil could get to you? Well, think about it. For the devil to get to you and snatch your soul away, he would have to pry back the fingers of Jesus. 
He would have to grip God's hands and pull God's hands off of you. And then he would have to get inside the seal of the Holy Spirit. And one country preacher said then, praise God, he'd be a saved devil. <laughs> I, I heard one, one old preacher say one time, he said, listen, he said, I'm not just safe, I'm fixed. <laughs> I'm fixed. I don't know what he meant by that, but it was great. Guarded by God. And we have a faith that perseveres. We are kept by the power of God through faith. And someone say, well, see, that's what it means. You got, you got to keep yourself saved. God's holding on to you and you've got to hold on to him by faith or you'll lose your grip and be saved. Friends, ask yourself the question, where did your faith come from? For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone can boast. Salvation from beginning to ending, even the faith to lay hold of Jesus is a gift from God Almighty. We persevere. We, we are not just eternally secure, but we are actively persevering in our trust in Jesus. This is the faith that overcomes the world, right? And we are secured for this salvation. Verse five says, we are kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Salvation there means the full deliverance. It doesn't mean you're not saved now, but you will be fully delivered at the last time, at the revelation of your salvation. That word revealed, ready to be revealed, the word there is apocalypse. Apocalypsis. It's the same word that John used on the island of Patmos when he said, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. What's it mean? The unveiling, the uncovering. That's what apocalypse means. The book of the revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus. The uncovering, it is the bringing up of the curtain to reveal the living son of God at a time that the Lord has ordained. And that will be our great salvation, right? Christ is our salvation. Our savior is our salvation. The salvation is in Christ. It's our hope. And it's the source of something so priceless to us and so real to us as we walk this exile life. It is the source of limitless joy. Limitless joy. Even in trials, because of Jesus, there's limitless joy. Even the trials down here are ultimately a blessing for us. The trials of life, verses six and seven. In this, in this salvation, 
that you know will be revealed in Jesus. In this salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while. Some of the most precious words in the Bible are these, and it came to pass, right? (laughs) It's gonna come to pass. For a little while, your faith is tested. It's necessary that your faith is tested through many various trials. You've you've been grieved by various trials. Notice it says various trials, many forms of trial, but it says they're necessary trials. If it's necessary, and the understanding is, if it's necessary, and it is. What is so important about us as exiles as we go through trials of this life, all these different trials, what can possibly be the source of joy as an exile going through trials in your life? Well, he says here it's because it it produces proof. It proves us. It's like this. He says it's like gold. It's it's more precious than gold, verse 7, that perishes though it is tested by fire what what does what do trials do trials purify us right but they also trials prove the genuineness they 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 put us to the, the test and they prove the genuine preciousness of our faith demonstrates our faith. What demonstrates our faith to the world? When everything's going fine, when we have all we want, when we have success and prosperity and always the things we want, is that what really demonstrates the proof of our faith? No, it's demonstrated most of all when it's tried in a fiery furnace and people are able to see the glory of God, the reality of God in a life that is trusting him. Produces proof and this testing is going to produce praise. It's going to produce praise may be found, verse seven, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that means our praise, our glory, our honor when we are faithful for Christ. When he comes, then he comes with what? His reward. And the reward above all rewards is what? To hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant, right? There's limitless joy, joy in the trials of life because in the trials of life, what do we start to treasure? We treasure Christ even more and more, right? He says, verse eight, though you have not seen him, You love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
To me, that's one of the most beautiful verses in the word of God. Having not seen him, Peter could say, I love him. I saw him. I knew him. But you, having not seen him, you love him. And having not seen him, yet you believe. You're you're not like my friend Thomas who said, unless I see the print of the nails, put my hand where the spear went in, I won't believe. And Jesus showed himself to Thomas and said, stop being faithless and start believing. Though you've not seen him, yet you are believing. And you have a joy that is inexpressible. Notice that. Love Jesus, believe in Jesus, and the joy of Jesus, a joy that is inexpressible. And that's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. It it is a joy that cannot even be explained. There's not even words in any language to describe this joy that we have in Jesus Christ, how we treasure him, and he is so priceless, there is a joy that cannot be expressed, and it is full of glory. It's literally, it's infused with glory. It's dipped and dyed in glory. There is a joy in us that is inexpressible and it's just infused with a touch of heaven already. Do you know what I'm talking about, church? There's that joy. And that's a joy of hope. A joy in treasuring Jesus and the joy of hope in knowing there's a triumph at last. There's a triumph at last. He says in verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are rejoicing in the midst of trials Trials are purifying, they're proving your faith, they're producing for you at a time to come praise, honor, and glory. They are causing you to treasure Jesus, and your faith is going to triumph at last in the salvation of your soul. Hope. Friends, that is not wishing to be saved. That is the assurance of salvation. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. The assurance of salvation. Do you have that assurance of your salvation in Jesus? Is Jesus, is he a treasure to you? See, exiles, we we live in hope, don't we? Do do these verses sound hopeless to you? (laughs) I want to ask you, is there anything in these verses that the world can take from you? Is there any price that could be put on these verses? Absolutely not. But they belong to each and every one of you in Jesus. 
We are exiled here. Yes, we're not going to fit in. Not as we follow Jesus. We're exiled here, but we're accepted there. Where do you want to be accepted? You want to be accepted here? Or do you want to be accepted there? Exiled here. Accepted there. And in our hearts, there's a song. Song of the Exiles. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the whole wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted. My name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. A tent or a cottage? Why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I can sing all glory to God. I'm a child of the King. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed. Dear friend, are you a child of the king? Are you a child of the king? Jesus came as the son of God that we might become the children of God through faith in him, through the new birth by the mercy of the living God to give us a living hope. Friends, May your hope be in the living one, Jesus Christ. May Christ be the treasure of your heart. And if he is not, would you call out to him now? Would you call out to him and ask him, Lord Jesus, open my heart to your glory. Open my eyes to who you are. Let me see you are the priceless pearl of great price. You're the treasure hidden in the dirt as far as this world is concerned. But for me, I want you to be the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Talk to Jesus. Call upon him. All who call upon him, he's near and he grants eternal life. Dear friend, you may be going through trials. Your head is bowed. Your back is bowed. Your knees are bent. I want to encourage you right now. In your very heart, get down on those knees. And say, blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused me, me, to be born again to a living hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord Jesus, you've given me an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Lord Jesus, your inheritance is kept for me. And you are guarding me, God the Father, keeping me safe for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Lord, I'm going through trials. You know what they are. But there's joy in my heart. Purify me, Lord. May my life be to praise and honor and glory. Lord, may you be the treasure of my heart. And I look to you for the outcome of my faith the salvation of my hope, my soul. I lift up my head. Lord, home is not here. Grant me a hope that abides and let me rejoice in you. Oh, friend, just talk to him. Just talk these scriptures back to him. May you do that this week. May we take these verses May we meditate on them, turn them over our minds and offer them back in praise and worship to Jesus. He is our precious, precious cornerstone. He is our sure foundation, amen. Let's stand, let's sing to him and you'd like to come for prayer. We can help you in any way. I'd be glad to do that. But let's sing to him. He is precious to us. May he be more and more.